0: with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week and continue right along. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 12 and I'm going to read to the end of a paragraph in the 2011 NIV. There's a paragraph break. Halfway through verse 18. So that's where I'm going to stop. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12. But before we do that, I'm going to pray again. Father, we ask again, as we have already done, not just today, but in days and weeks and years past, we ask for your help to understand, to know, to grow to be changed and transformed into the likeness of your Son. We ask for this now as we look at this passage that Paul wrote to believers so many thousand years ago. We thank you and we praise you that we have this, your word, to teach us. And it's in Jesus' name that we give thanks and pray these things. Amen. So Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12. Have you ever jumped to a conclusion before? Nobody's willing to put up their hand. Have you ever had somebody jump to a conclusion about you before? More hands go up for that one. Yeah, people misunderstand me. I never misunderstand anybody else. We, can, we jump to conclusions in different formats, in different ways for reasonable things, unreasonable things. Um, somebody's late. You're supposed to meet them for coffee or for dinner and they're late. And we can jump to a conclusion and say, they just don't value my time. They don't value me as a person. And then you find out later that they had a flat tire. You jump to a conclusion, small thing, small scenario. We jump to bigger conclusions um, in sometimes bigger formats, bigger ways. Are we all willing to admit that we do jump to conclusions sometimes in some ways? Paul writes to correct some people who have jumped to a conclusion Paul has just greeted them in the first couple of verses, gospel-saturated, gospel-soaked greeting to the believers in Philippi. Then he has just gone through and he's expressed to them how much he loves them, how much he cares for them. This gospel-driven relationship that they have drives his prayer, drives his desires for them. And now, the first thing that he wants to communicate after getting out of his feelings for them, the one thing he wants to clear up is this. Now, I want you to know, I want it to be clear. I want you to know something because there has been a misunderstanding. He wants to communicate them to them about his situation, which they've heard about. But it's, again, it's all gospel-focused and all gospel-centered. It's all about the gospel. The important thing for Paul in recounting and, and clearing the air and telling them, you've jumped to a conclusion. I want to clear this up for you. The important thing for Paul is not the details of the quote-unquote situation that he's in, which is what? Chains, prison. He's in prison and he's in chains. And some people have jumped to a conclusion about what's going on with him and what's going on with the gospel. And the details of that aren't important. He's not worried about clearing up what's actually happened to him. He's in chains. That's all you need to know. But it's the advancement of the gospel. That's still Paul's priority. Even in chains. And even in communicating to the Philippians about what's going on. He still has the gospel at the forefront of his mind. Some had misunderstood the consequences of Paul being put in prison, naturally. And I don't think this is too much of a big conclusion to jump to. You have a gospel missionary, a gospel preacher, a man who travels from city to city preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now he can no longer do that because he's in prison. He is in chains and he can't go anywhere. His job, his ministry must now be over. There's nothing else he can do to further his ministry. Some had thought that perhaps God, Paul's gospel ministry was done. Or at the very least hindered. It can't be the same when you're in prison because his whole job was to to travel and to meet believers in person. But Paul wants to make something very clear. Paul wants to be very clear, and this is the first thing. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel has not stopped going out. That just because I am in chains and can no longer go anywhere does not mean the gospel is not being preached by me. And as we'll see, that does not mean that the gospel has ceased being preached by others. The gospel is preached in two places in this section. We can see how the gospel is preached in prison and outside of prison. In prison by Paul, outside of prison by others. Verse 13 says, as a result of going to prison, not, not Paul worked something out really deviously, like he, he pulled a fast one on the guards. It's actually going to prison served this result. This was the exact reason he went to prison, was preaching the gospel in the first place, and he continues to preach there. As a result of what has happened to me, my chains, it has become clear. That is, there is no ambiguity about why Paul is in prison for the prison guards. The whole palace knows exactly why Paul is in prison. He's not a political zealot. He's not somebody who's come in to take over Caesar. He's not somebody who was a common thief or a murderer, although I'm not sure if you can call that common. Paul is in prison... And there's no shadow of a doubt within the palace guard why Paul is there. That Paul is in prison for Christ. He's in chains for Christ. Not just because he was preaching Christ, that is true. But he is in chains to represent Christ in prison. Can you imagine what that kind of clarity would have looked like for the guards? Paul says it's become clear. There is no shadow of a doubt that the guards know exactly why Paul is there. That means Paul has been talking to them. Paul has been preaching to these guards. Now that he says the whole palace guard, and before we jump to a conclusion and potentially think that Paul talked to thousands and thousands of guards, it is possible, but what is more likely, I think, is this, is that Paul is in prison, and, and, and these guards who are there watching over him, hear Paul preaching. He preaches to them. He tells them. They think this is just some religious guy who got himself into trouble again. Well, it's not a religious thing. It's a political thing. It's really, he's proclaiming Jesus is Lord, but we all know within the Roman palace guard that Caesar is Lord. It's really a political thing. This is a political guy. But then they begin to hear from Paul's own mouth why he is here and what he is actually teaching. And that palace guard who is standing there, he goes off shift six or Nine hours later, however long their shift is, and another pair come in, and Paul talks to them again. And pretty soon, the guards that are in charge of watching him, they have all heard from Paul the gospel. They have heard why he is in chains. They have heard of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, the promised Messiah of old, and he has come now, and he rules and reigns on high. They have heard that, and they go back to the barracks. They go back to their break room, wherever it is, and they're sitting around, and they say you know that guy Paul? Yeah, I was watching him yesterday. He's a bit of an odd duck, isn't he? How did he get himself in here? He's not trying to take over anything. He hasn't tried to kill anybody. He hasn't tried to knock down any walls. He hasn't led an army. What is he doing here? Well, he was telling me about this Jewish Messiah. And they begin to talk. And they begin to talk to each other, and pretty soon through the witness of these palace guards, whether they're believers or not, they begin to hear, the whole palace guard begins to hear exactly the message that Paul has been bringing because Paul has said the exact same message over and over again to every guard he has come in contact with. They have all heard the gospel in one form or another. Not just the guards, but everyone else. That's perhaps just a toss-in phrase You know, the whole palace guard, as well as everyone else, just all encapsulating everyone else, that's a lot of people, the servants, the gardener, the accountant, I don't know what Caesar had, Um, whatever other job Caesar had, and there were people employed or enslaved in that position, these people had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ as a direct result of Paul going to prison. Could the Lord have brought the gospel to these people some other way? Absolutely. But Paul knows for certain that he is in prison so that these people can hear the gospel. And everyone else has heard Paul's message, either directly from him or indirectly from others, talking about perhaps complaining, perhaps wondering, perhaps degrading, perhaps mocking and making fun of. But even the soldiers, as they mocked Jesus on the way to the cross, hail king of the Jews, preach the gospel in that phrase, even if they had no idea what they were saying. Paul is in chains for Christ. And not for anything that he's done. In this sense, he's innocent. Paul has never once said that he is actually guilty of something other than preaching the gospel. And Paul is willing to go to prison if going to prison for preaching Christ is what he's there for. And his chains are a mark of Christ and not Caesar. Normally the chains that bound any prisoner as a prisoner of Rome were marked by the fact that you were caught by Rome. You were under the lordship of Caesar. You were under, were under his control, his power, him and him alone. It was only him that actually let you go free. Paul is in prison for Christ, not Caesar. Christ is in charge of his life, not Caesar. These prison guards, as they put these shackles on and off of Paul, wherever he was going, these prison guards, as they were reminded of the fact that these chains represented the power of Caesar over the individual, heard that in Paul's life, it was not Caesar. It was Christ who had the authority over Paul's life. His chains are because he's been preaching the gospel clearly. That is that it's the true gospel Many people will preach a gospel and will not get themselves into trouble. Because any gospel that is less than Jesus Christ is not offensive to anybody. Now you can offend people in the way that you talk. But the gospel is what's the offense to the world, not the individual. Paul wants the Philippians to know, contrary to some opinions that we'll get into very quickly... That the gospel advancement is not hurt because of his chains. The gospel still goes forward. In fact, it's opened a whole new door of opportunities. This, This is maybe not what Paul expected. Maybe not what the Philippians or believers in Rome or believers in Ephesus were expecting of Paul. Paul, you have a ministry to go everywhere. People listen to you. You can show up and you can preach so clearly in the synagogue, in the marketplace, In the philosopher's square, you can preach in such a clear way. Why in the world did you get yourself caught and thrown into prison? That was the opinion of some. But Paul says in verse 14, because of my chains, as a direct result of being in prison, not only has he been able to preach to people who might not have otherwise heard And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. His preaching, his imprisonment, the work that he's been able to do even behind bars, the advancement of the gospel going forth to people who need to hear it, that has given people not confidence in themselves, not confidence in Paul, not confidence in their own abilities to swindle and get their way through the Roman legal system. Their confidence is in the Lord. Most others have become confident in the Lord. This kind of goes back to Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's confidence is in Jesus and as a direct result of Paul's confidence in Jesus, preaching the gospel wherever he is, even in prison, the believers look to God, look to the Lord and their confidence grows in what the Lord can do in any situation, with any person, anytime, anywhere. And as a direct result, they preach. They preach. They dare to preach more. Confidence in the Lord resulted in courage, boldness, to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here, the last bit there, it says, Proclaim the gospel without fear. The NIV's translated the, that term gospel there for us. The word there is just word. To preach, proclaim the word. And the NIV translators helped us rightly in this context. What are they preaching? What word are they preaching? It's the gospel. But when we see that Paul has already talked about the advancement of the gospel. Chains for Christ. Proclaiming the word. And then in verse 15 he talks about some who preach Christ. We see that the terms word, gospel, Christ. To preach one is to preach all of them. And that is, if you preach one without the others, you're not preaching the true gospel. If you preach the gospel without Christ, it is not the gospel. If you are preaching Christ without the good news, it is not truly Christ. You must have all. You must have Christ bound up in the gospel. We often talk about preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, salvation for sinners. And we can, yes, preach Christ, But our highlight can be on what you get out of gospel salvation. Our highlight can be on what benefit it is to you. And certainly, gospel salvation in Jesus Christ is a benefit for sinners, is it not? Salvation, heaven, Christ's righteousness robed around us, that is certainly a benefit for us. But we can put the highlight, put the focus no longer on Christ but on ourselves and what we get from it. Which it is not wrong to recognize the benefits we have in salvation. But do not forget that the gospel is not benefits for you. It is Christ and his glory and his praise. That is the gospel. And they preach this gospel. Because Paul, as he preaches in prison, is not preaching about the good things that he now has because of the gospel. He is in prison. He has actually lost some physical and social standings because of the gospel. That is, what not, that is not what the gospel is about. And these people, they see what Paul has done and they preach the gospel without fear. We should stop and ask the question, what are they afraid of? We should wonder what they're afraid of at this time because yes, perhaps some were afraid of losing their lives. Some would have been afraid of going to prison. Some would have been fearful for their own physical state. And rightly so in some sense. Do we not all... Fear death in some way? In some way? Yes, because of the gospel salvation we have in Jesus Christ, because of what he has done, we do not need to fear death. We recognize that we walk from here into eternity, into the welcoming, open arms of the Father because of what Jesus has done. We do not need to fear death, and yet at the same time, because none of us have done it before, it's a little unnerving. There may have been some that were afraid of losing their lives, But I think, perhaps more likely, because of the misconception that Paul is now going to address in verse 15, there were some that were afraid of losing gospel opportunities. They were afraid of going to prison, of being taken into chains, and they were afraid that that was going to cost them gospel opportunities. And I think if we contextualize that just a little bit, We sometimes do that too. We forsake proclaiming Christ, not because we're afraid of social standing, not because we're necessarily afraid of losing our lives, although there are believers around the world today who have that very real fear. We use the excuse of not wanting to put up a barrier between me and my neighbor. I don't want to cause something between me and my neighbor that might... You know if I if I tell them right now the gospel they might become so annoyed with me they they'll never talk to me over the backyard fence again and I'll I'll lose further gospel opportunities. I can't be that bold. I can't be that strong. I can't come on that strong about who Jesus is and what he's done because that might ruin further gospel opportunities. And we we have this little bit of fear that I might actually ruin the gospel by opening my mouth. Anybody else have that fear? I might do something really dumb. I might say something very stupid that um, me saying something might actually cause more harm than good. They saw Paul in chains and these believers said, "No, okay, if Paul's gonna go to prison, the most prolific missionary preacher that we have, if his mission isn't ruined, if his gospel ministry isn't done and over with, I may as well preach. I may as well proclaim Christ. Their fear, whatever it was, disappeared when they looked to the Lord and they saw what he did in Paul. When they saw what God did. Not what Paul did. Yes, Paul had boldness. Yes, Paul proclaimed without fear. But what God was doing in Paul. Because what normally happens when you go to prison is you're locked away, the key is thrown away, and you are forgotten about, and you disappear. Paul's voice perhaps became more loud once he was in chains than when he had previously not been in chains. The whole palace guard had heard, and everyone else, and as a result, brothers and sisters began to preach and proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul has given clarity on the advancement of the gospel inside prison, and now he provides clarity about the advancement of the gospel outside of prison. Inside, I keep preaching and people have heard. Outside, people have become bold. They have lost their fear staring into the face of God and seeing what he could do, even in the face of chains. Chains do not stop the gospel. And so people began to preach. But there are still some. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Paul has two categories of people. People with good motives and people with bad motives people who have jumped to a conclusion and not quite understood what has happened to Paul and others who know exactly what is going on with Paul. Notice that these people are still under the category of brothers. We see that in verse 15. Most of the brothers and sisters, he's talking about fellow believers, brothers and sisters who are preaching and proclaiming Christ. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. These people, whoever they are, they're not named, they still preach Christ. They still preach the gospel. What Paul is saying is that these people are not heathens. They're not false teachers. They are misinformed, misunderstood brothers in Christ who need to hear what is actually happening with Paul. There are some that preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. These people still preach Christ, and they are not to be confused, I think, with some in Corinth who had denied the resurrection. That is, a gospel without the resurrection of Jesus Christ is no gospel at all. They are not like the people in Galatia who tried to supplement the gospel with circumcision. Yes, Jesus is pretty good. He does a fairly good job, but you must be circumcised on top of that. These people misunderstood the gospel and were not proclaiming the gospel. The people that Paul talks about are preaching the gospel. They are preaching Christ. They have poor motives derived from what seems to be a misunderstanding of what has happened to Paul, which is why he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has actually happened to me has not stopped the gospel, it still goes forth. He wants the Philippians to know that some may have wrong motives, but they are still preaching. The preaching was not the problem, it was their motivation, which tells us that your motives matter. Your motives matter for what you do. Your motives matter for why you come to church. Your motives matter why you preach the gospel. Your motives matter why you sing. Your motives matter why you pray. Your motives matter why you read your Bible. Why you have gospel fellowship. Your motives matter why you invite your neighbors over for dinner so that you might witness to them. Your motives matter. We can say, rightly so, I think, that we ought to do the things that Christ has commanded us because we ought to do them. That is, we ought to do them because Jesus said so. And my children ought to do what I tell them to do because I told them so. But their motives behind it matter. And your motives behind serving Christ matter as well. Some preach out of envy and rivalry. But others have stepped in to pick up the slack. They've stepped in to fill the gap where that Paul has left. Some have preached out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That's verse 16. They know why Paul is there. They know that Paul has gone to prison because he has preached Christ and he knows, they know that he is still preaching Christ even in prison. But there are others that perhaps attempt to twist the knife. That they preach outside of prison directly because they think Paul can't preach inside. That they preach all the more boldly without fear From the wrong motivation and wrong understanding of what Paul has done, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Perhaps these people, we we ask the question, why? why? Why would these people want to do that to Paul? Why would you want to stir up trouble for a fellow believer who is in chains? I guess we don't ultimately know, but I don't think it's too much of a leap to think that Perhaps these people had thought Paul had done something very, very stupid by getting himself captured, by getting himself imprisoned. Paul, do you not understand you had so much more to offer if you had just... They told you to leave the city. They told you to not come back and preach. Paul, there are dozens of other cities you could have preached in. Why did you go back? Why did you go back there, Paul? They might have just been thinking, Paul... Why did you, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Can't you tell that you've hurt your ministry, you've hurt our ministry, because others have had to step in and fill your gap, fill the void that you've left? This is all your fault, Paul. And so they preach. Yes, they preach Christ. I believe that they do love Jesus. They want to see sinners saved. But perhaps there's a slight... They're angry at Paul... Because he's left them. They're not angry at Paul for the gospel he preaches. They're not angry at Paul for the souls that he's been able to speak to and those that have come into faith because of his preaching. They're not angry about that. They're angry because Paul has left them. And they're here doing the ministry, doing the work that Paul should be here doing with them. I don't think they're heretics. I think they misunderstood They misunderstand what has actually happened to Paul. That Paul has gone to prison, and that's not the end. They lacked knowledge. They lacked understanding. Perhaps their focus was in the wrong place. Perhaps their focus was more on their own personal ministries than on the global ministry. We're not told. I find it hard to believe Paul calls them brothers and sisters, that he says they're preaching Christ that he doesn't love these people. That they don't love him. Yes, they're preaching out of envy and rivalry. Yes, they're preaching out of selfish ambition. Yes, their motives are way out of whack. But where did it start from? Because these people were preaching alongside Paul. Their motives matter. And we could step back and say, what do we do that is actually... Promoting envy and rivalry within ourselves and not the gospel, where our own selfish ambition takes priority over the gospel. We could stop and step back and say, Yes, I'm doing things, but I'm really doing it to make a name for myself, not for the sake of the gospel. There's probably some application there. But Paul moves on quickly, not worrying about his own name, not worrying about putting his own status forward. He doesn't care about himself. Paul says at the beginning of verse 18, but what does it matter? What does it matter that these people, yes, with their poor motives and their selfish ambition needing to be in check, Paul is not condoning or saying that envy and rivalry are good things, In fact, he has just prayed for the Philippian believers that you grow in knowledge and depth of insight, that your love grows, that you may discern what is best. He wants the believers to be pure in motive, to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ in in how they act and how they think. That is what Paul wants for believers. So he's not excusing this, but he doesn't jump to his own defense. He's not piping up and saying, now hold on guys, that's not fair. Don't talk about me like that. Paul says, what does it matter? That is, you can't stir up trouble for Paul because he's not seeking to defend himself. Paul's in chains for Christ. The palace guard knows that. And everyone else knows that. Even these people know that in some sense. That Paul's in chains as a direct result of preaching Christ and he is in chains to proclaim Christ. You can't stir up trouble for Paul when it's not his defense that he's worried about. That is if you could preach in a way, if you could talk about a guy in a way where it caused more problems, when you could actually downplay the influence of somebody, when you could downplay the importance, importance of somebody's ministry, if you could somehow sweep that guy under the rug, maybe he would get lost. Maybe he would get lost in, in the Roman prison. Maybe the keys would be thrown away. Maybe he'd just be gone and done away with and we'll just carry on our ministry. Paul says, I don't care. I don't care what you say about me. What does it matter what these people think about me? Yes, they're wrong, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, not excusing the false motives, but whether Christ is preached, that's all that matters. Paul does not care about himself, his own social status, he cares whether Christ is preached. He's not concerned about his position or his fame. He's not concerned about whether he gets out of prison or not. Now he will talk in the following verses about some of his expectations about prison. But that's not really his concern. His concern is whether Christ is preached wherever he is and wherever believers are. And Paul says, and because of this, not because of his chains, Paul is not rejoicing in the things that he's been able to accomplish. Paul is not rejoicing in anything that the Philippians are. He's not rejoicing in anything that these believers are. He's not talking about the great ministries that they've produced. He's not talking, he's not rejoicing about anything else other than the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's his only concern. That's the only thing that matters to him. That's the only thing that Paul really seemed to have ever done was preach Christ. And this is what these believers are doing. And Paul rejoices in that. But what do we do with this? We're not the Philippians. We're not these believers that we're preaching out of false motives, motive, some preaching out of good ones. What do we do with this? There are probably a number of questions that we could step back and ask. What advancement do you care about? Do you care about your own advancement at work? Your own advancement in a social group? Do you care about your own advancement even within church here? That you are now viewed and seen as some higher spiritual authority? What is is your, what advancement do you seek? Is Is it your own or is it Jesus's? We could ask the question, what are you afraid of? Some of us may actually, if we stopped and stepped back and looked at it we might actually say we're afraid of the gospel some of us who have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior might actually look at the gospel and what it says we might look at the face of Jesus and we say man that's a bit much I'm not sure I want to go all in with that because that's going to mean my life is going to change my life will be different I'll lose some friends I'll lose some family I may lose some opportunities to advance myself at work We may be actually afraid of the gospel. That's not the fear that Paul is talking about, but that's a fear that we should all look at and then turn away from and look at the face of the Savior and see how he wipes away all those fears. Are we afraid of losing gospel opportunities? Do you know the story of Jim Elliot? Jim Elliot and the ACA Five? Jim Elliott was a missionary back in the mid-20th century. I can't remember exactly. He and four others went deep down into the the forested areas, the Amazon areas of South America. And the Aka people, the Aka Indians, were the people that were known as cannibals, tribal people. And Jim Elliott and his friends, knowing full well with young families exactly what this could have meant for them, They went headlong in missionary service to serve these people because these people needed Christ. And some people, many people, evangelical people said, Jim and his friends are lunatics because they are going to, not necessarily a lost cause, because people recognize that all people need Jesus and Jesus can save anyone and everyone. But don't you realize you're just walking into a trap? They set up a camp, they figured some things out, they had had some conversations, and then one day... All five of them are murdered on the beach. This little river that they had managed to land on, all five of them are murdered, leaving wives and children to figure out the pieces of what's going on. And many people looked at what Jim Elliott and these other four guys did, and they, they accused, in some sense, what I think we see others accusing Paul of. You've wasted your life. You, you, you didn't even get to really preach the gospel. You didn't get anywhere. Now you're dead and gone, and what's going to happen now? Other people are just going to have to pick up the pieces. What about your wives? What about your children that are going to grow up without dads? Why would you do that? There were people who did that, who accused Jim and his friends, not, I don't think, maliciously, but because they misunderstood what God was doing. As a result of these five guys, an explosion of missionary service came out of their story. Young people went to Bible college and seminary and an explosion happened across the world because of the story of Jim and the Aka Five. Their families, Jim's wife and his daughter, years later went back to these people and actually lived in and amongst these people. And because of the forgiveness and the reconciliation that is found in Jesus Christ, these people saw the forgiveness in the face of Jim's wife and his family, and they were able to lead these people to Christ. What fear do we have of preaching the gospel? Jim had none. His friends had none. His, their families didn't have any either. Yes, they were terrified of, in, in those hours after no contact, of not knowing what happened to their husbands, they were terrified But they looked at what God was doing. They looked at the face of the Lord and they saw and they grew confident in the Lord and they dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Will we do that? We have a situation, as far as I know, unlike any other in human history. Now certainly there were things that Happened like this. There were pandemics before. There were viruses that went around the world and wiped out many people. But whatever we're facing right now, we have a choice to proclaim Jesus or not. What the world needs in a time of trouble, in a time of uncertainty, what the world needs in a time where people are pushing social justice in a time where people are proclaiming anything and everything but Jesus Christ, what the world needs to hear is Jesus and the gospel of hope found in him and him alone. The, gospel does, the world does not need another politician. The world does not need a better politician. The world does not need a better health minister. It doesn't need a different president or a different prime minister. It needs Jesus. Are we going to preach that? Are we going to preach him? We need to be wise, we need to be understanding, and we shouldn't be jerks. But we need to preach Christ and him alone. And in everything, what does it matter what people think about me? What does it matter about my status? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, we can rejoice. We go from here rejoicing that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed by both us, by each other, as a team, as a unit, as all believers, advancing the gospel wherever we are, proclaiming Him. Let's pray. Father, we ask for help, we ask for courage. We ask that you would remove fear. That you would help us to look at Jesus more and more because by looking at him, everything else seems to fade away and go away. All the fears, all the discouragement, all the uncertainty, it goes away when we stare at the face of the one who holds everything in his hands. We ask for your help as we go from this place, as we go back to work. As we talk with our neighbors. As we figure out what to do in the midst of a pandemic. Help us to preach Christ and preach him boldly. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.